Hello again, everybody. And as always, thanks so much for tuning in to the Share Giving Podcast and sharing it with those you know who can benefit. The podcast can be found wherever podcasts are distributed, and prior episodes are also housed on our website, along with lots of archival video, including the video versions of each podcast and other interesting and relevant material at ShareGiverSolutions.com. I'm Rob Stoller, your host, along with my brother David. Hello, everyone. Who has been caring for his wife, Barbara, since she was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's over a decade ago. Today, we're so happy to be joined by Don McMillan, a career leader in leadership, management, and personal growth, with an emphasis on purpose and passion. David, who's known Don for many years and introduced me to him, which I'm grateful for, will provide a more complete overview of Don's principles and accomplishments, of which there are many, and how they align so closely with sharegiving. So let's get started. Good. So uh, my old buddy Don, and we go back a lot of years, I know... um, a little of your background. I know you and I first met you maybe 20 years ago now as uh, an executive coach, for lack of a better term, focusing on leadership and strategy. And I'm uh, aware of the pretty vast scope of assignments you've had, which have ranged from Department of Defense, uh, generals, CEOs in the corporate suite, coaches on the basketball floor and on the baseball diamond, really uh, people uh, in significant positions who have benefited from your uh, guidance in terms of their own leadership and strategic thinking. And you've helped me along the way in several of the endeavors that I've been involved with, with your own very specific set of tools that you've refined over the years. So, Don, I'm really pleased to be talking to you Obviously, we want to talk about share giving and our unique approach to that. But before we get into it, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you got into your own career or how you got to this point and, uh, um, you know, what the the perspective that you have uh, that you bring to it based on all your years of experience. Thanks. So I started some over 40 years ago, uh, leaving college and getting a job at a probate court doing delinquency neglect prevention and community organization. And what I found was that people in the community had the solutions. The police, the courts were failures relative to solving the issue. That it was always people figuring out better ways. And I would see anywhere from uh, 20 families a week or a month and uh, refer them out uh, for treatment or some sort of program to all the way to developing community programs that would do outreach and identify people with need that were having challenges. Kids that were going to drop out, uh, families that were referred from the hospitals, And I began to discover that the entire treatment community was learning along with the patients, along with the subject. And and the further people got into courts, 
and intense treatment, the lower the probability of success. So it was always the assumption that prevention was the way to go and, and, and getting people in the community to figure out the best solutions. So they'd have baseball leagues. We created a youth employment center. From that, I learned a lot about uh, counseling and coaching and we got training by some of the world's best psychotherapists. And I went on for 20 years to become a psychotherapist working with groups, couples, individuals. And again, I found the same theme that the solutions were inside the people. If they could get a chance to figure things out, to listen to each other, to keep at it and get help and input and get space to process their thinking and their ideas, they could generally make their lives a whole lot better. I saw that over and over again. Eventually, because I focused on brief therapy training and I trained with people like Milton Erickson and, and the Western Institute for Group and Family Therapy and the old days, transactional analysis and Gestalt. Um, so I met a guy named Jeff Zeig, who was head of the Milton Erickson Foundation. Back, he started when I did and we did some things together. Um, and to this day, all of those lessons apply very well to developing leaders, developing leadership teams, developing people in organizations, because at the root of it all, it's about people. And it's about helping individuals and couples and, and groups and teams to be, to figure things out for themselves based on their situation. Give them the tools, give them, help them develop effective strategies and support them in the process of discovering what works. That couldn't be more applicable, it seems to me, to exactly what we're talking about here. It's kind of, you're going back to your roots, but the same principles still apply to the, the group that we're addressing, the shareholders. Don, the uh, tools you developed, which I know um, are core tools or applications for you, had to do with the profiling people and sort of a personality that its simplicity belies its importance, I think, to you. And then your operating belief system and, um, and applications that derive from that. How did you develop all of that? Was that in the context of working with these uh, leaders and leadership groups and uh, et cetera? Well, in the beginning, in the beginning, I knew I didn't know. And the people I worked with were, up, were bringing in really experienced and talented people. And they demonstrated to me that there were better ways. And I began a lifelong learning journey where I knew that if I was going to be effective with people, I had to learn for the rest of my life because that was something that um, it, it's sort of developing an early growth mindset that is, it's all about learning it all versus people who think they know it all and they're experts and they tell others what to do. It doesn't work too well. And so um, along the way, I kept finding who were the best people in this field or that field who were really getting results, who were delivering. And I have never stopped studying 
learning and reading. And the people that did that, that I know, continued to grow. The ones that didn't, didn't continue to grow and weren't, their, their effectiveness plateaued. And it occurred to me that this is no different than kids going to school, getting educated, and being able to deal with the world more effectively. And that's something that we all have to do every day. Right. So, you know, one, one of the things that you have focused on that you introduced me to <clears throat> a long time ago was the subject of purpose, you know, the why that um, is so fundamental to people thinking about what they're doing and how they're doing it, as well as just the whole idea of what constitutes, it's related, a meaningful life. And you've sent a number of videos along those lines. How did you hit on this as sort of something that's at the core of your approach? David Gordon, who's written a whole bunch of books, um, wrote a book uh, about modeling. That is, how do you understand capability? And uh, in the process of doing that, he uh, discovered that the effective leaders uh, had deep purpose. And that's what this, that was the difference between ineffective and effective leaders. Hmm. Effective leaders, all their passion was based on a purpose. Their grit, their tenacity, their determination, their follow through, their willing to really go for it was there was a purpose. There was meaning there. Yeah, it's such a an easy word, purpose, but so powerful is really at the core. Um, when you teach or help uh, work with different leaders and this and that, is that a place that you typically start with? Yes. Who am I? What am I doing? What is this about? What is the most meaningful thing to me in life? Right. So what what matters. Right, exactly. What really matters, what's important. So for Rob, it's clear. He's a people guy. He's been a coach. He loves his family. He loves people in his community. Every time he's talking, he's talking about people that he loves. And he really cares about them. And he's got, he's got a purpose about touching lives, making a difference, being a good person. And I can relate to that because that's what I think. That's the way I feel. And, yep. and so my, my inspiration was a guy named Carl Rogers who wrote a book on becoming a person. Becoming. And there's a whole field in psychology of people that have discovered that work and use it to understand others deeply and effectively. And that I think is the key to good relationships and a good life. You said before, some people continue to grow and others don't. What distinguishes between the two? I would say that a person who doesn't grow thinks or believes that um, life is a formula where you get a job, you make money, and you do things you like. And a person who grows sees that life is a huge challenge and an opportunity to make the difference in others' lives. And they feel love and compassion and are willing to do whatever it takes. If you've ever seen people in hospitals, nurses and docs and teams, the vast majority of them are devoted 
to their patients. And the entire lives are dedicated. They get they derive lots of meaning. They'll learn, they'll read, they wanna know, they wanna do better. They wanna have more of an impact. They're ambitious with regard for meaning in their life. Can that be instilled or trained or uh, motivated? It could be, be modeled for young kids and kids then can model their parents and catch that bug. I can't imagine that your father wasn't a learner and didn't have a passion and didn't want to make a difference. Yeah, I, I, I can't, can't argue with that. In terms of making a difference, that's hard to say. I think he, he led, he made a difference in our lives, certainly. And I think he led by example and he was an extremely curious man, a voracious reader as David is. Um, I, I, you know, he, he was a quiet leader. I don't think uh, he, he was determined to change the world or move, move people to do great things. Um, but he was a principled guy who shared those principles with everyone who knew him. I, I actually, without getting off track, I, since we had the same father, right? <laughs> My perspective on, on one point is he was very early in the nuclear industry and he really believed, he had a passion that this was gonna change the world. You know, the early industry, they always had ready kilowatt, that electricity was gonna to be too cheap to meter, that nuclear was gonna change the world. And he was a believer and he was a uh, um, ambassador for it. And therefore I think was deeply disappointed with the demise of the industry as it got embroiled in controversy I mean, I know up close because I involved him in some of the conferences I sponsored where he was still defending, you know, the merit of the industry that nobody else was seeing. So it was fascinating. So he did want to change the world. Well, in, yeah, in I mean, respect, in terms of his professional. He was early. Right. But I mean, in terms of, uh, I guess, behavior and, yeah. and morality and things like that. Um, yeah, he clearly was was interested in his field, yeah. but I didn't see him as a social activist. So John, let me ask, uh, I don't know to what extent you have a, had a personal experience with caregiving. You have had with care providers in the health industries and have seen up close, you know, how, and, and in fact, you showed me way back when the, uh, uh, Oh, what's the health institute that people go to when they're Mayo the, the Mayo Clinic, when they think that they might be dying. Uh, and I've seen their operating principles, which were impressive to us as we're thinking about our business. But, um, and you've seen a little bit of what we are doing, you know, one of our, you know, early podcasts. What's your take on this world of caregiving and very specifically the family member caregiver who is coming to this really out of emergency or exigency, hasn't really been trained, but has a family member that needs to be cared for and he or she is it. Um, how do the things that you've done with executives and with leaders you know, in sport or corporate suite or uh, defense industry, has it, how does it compare to how can it Translate. inform 
this circumstance of somebody that is without resources, funds, respect, appreciation, and assistance dealing with, you know, uh, a person that they have been in a relationship with as a family member. Well, the shift in management that's been following the shift in society is from top-down autocratic governance to collaborative democratic leadership and cultures in which people help each other. Mm -hmm. And they don't look to the boss to say, mother may, may I, or Simon says. They're getting increasing based on principles, based on um, goals that they've agreed upon and participated in defining. And so the big shift that needs to happen for caregivers uh, is they need to form a community and form a set of practices and disciplines in ways and support processes mm -hmm. where they can encourage and help each other develop these capabilities. When people were first in this country farming, the community would come together to build a barn. They would come together to harvest a crop. And I think caregiving is a coming together and to take care of uh, a member of our community in a way that works for them, rather than looking to the experts to do that because there aren't enough experts, and they don't have enough time, and it doesn't work anyway because that's a human being. So humans should be humanizing the process of taking care of humans rather than making it a sort of a, uh, just a set of activities. It's really much more of a caring, loving environment that attends to very difficult human circumstances. Right. The best of that. You know, it, it strikes me listening to you and you're talking about a community taking care of people that need help, uh, but it's in that creating the community and sharing that the person, the person helping is also being cared for because you know, in this field, as we've discovered, the caregivers have been the ones that have suffered almost equally to the person they're caring for. Yes. yes. They are worn down. They are sick. They are depressed. They are broke. They are under tremendous stress for trying to manage the rest of their life. So that idea of community works as much for the care provider as for the one that's being cared more so, or more I would so. argue. Yeah. You know, having spoken with you over the months, and I haven't known you as long as David has, but uh, we've had some great conversations with regard to the caregiver approach. The three pillars or the three legs of the stool are mindset, game plan, and networks. And you speak of each of those almost every time we talk. So I think you're kind of sitting right on, right at the apex of that whole approach because mindset is certainly what you've been trained to encourage people to develop. Um, game plan, I know is, you know, you're a pragmatic guy and you speak about that aspect of this all the time. And now you're talking about the network aspect, which is the community. So somehow we've landed on, you know, your, your um, 
power place or uh, we've met there. Kind of, if you can, and we don't have a whole lot of time, but talk about the mindset, game plan, network approach and how that is applicable. Mindset is uh, your beliefs about what's important and what to do about it and how to do it. It's the keys, the, cr the critical failure factors. It includes the essential success factors. It includes setting conditions, getting resources, taking activity steps to achieve the quality of life possible within any, any particular time. So the mindset is the way that you, what you decide, the way you decide, how you decide. The uh, game plan is the overall strategy in time of what you're gonna do. And that's got to do with time, place, the people involved, the activity, so that you have a strategy every day, you have a strategy for the week, you have a strategy for the month, and it keeps changing because conditions change. So you use your mindset consistently to adjust, evolve, and manage your game plan, and you include your network in the activities. That's who you do it with. You do it with as many uh, of the people in your community as appropriate and on a continuous basis. You don't want caregivers, sharegivers particularly, you do not want them to be isolated and giving all the time. They need to get for themselves. So their daily game plan, their mindset should be very much about what do they enjoy, what will make it worthwhile for them, uh, that they decide it's important that they enjoy what they're doing. Yeah, this, this, John, that strikes me as one of the more novel aspects of what you know we are advocating for is that the caregiver really shares the experience. And increasingly, I think I have found anyway that as my partner is less and less able to be discerning or to have specific likes and dislikes, I am continuing to engage, but the things we're doing are of interest to me. And, uh, you know, my partner goes along. So she, you know, enjoys it in quotes, but it's edifying for me as well. I'm, I'm growing and learning. Keeping a really good boundary uh, about your wellness and taking care of yourself is so crucial because if you don't keep that boundary and make sure that you're taking care of yourself, you will start to join your partner in the problem. You right. become enmeshed and you'll start feeling bad when they feel bad. And that's not helpful. John, you know, it occurs to me in thinking about this, how does this translate to general leadership? Are leaders uh, themselves, isn't mindset and game plan and networks equally applicable, whether yes. it's corporate suite or on the, the, on the court? The exact same thing. The shift is where, where intelligence and capability is distributed. And leaders now have to collect that through networks and through uh, engagement with people and, get, and delegating a lot more of the activity 
to the people working for them and with them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in terms of, you know, a game planner thinking strategically, they have to, as you've said before, think about what matters. What yes. is it that we want to achieve and then what is needed to accomplish that? Yes, both in the Navy and turn the ship around, David Marquet, the submarine commander, uh, instituted intent-based leadership, which is giving the crew responsibility for figuring out and executing their duties rather than being told what to do or waiting to be told what to do. And the Army did the same thing in the Iraq War. And the book Team Teams is about special operators, General Samuel and Crystal, where the Army did the same thing. They delegated down to the troops fighting the battles, the decision-making, and the processes. And that's where sharegivers are. Sharegivers need to pick up the responsibility for figuring out what to do with their network. And, but in, this, in those cases, what, was the, what were the leadership responsibilities? Did they either um, identify the goals or the, the themes or the um, purpose? They, well, they certainly, they identified the operating principles and then they let the troops figure out the officer's corps down below, figure out what to do about that. So every day in Iraq for 90 minutes, every morning, there were up to 7,000 people on a phone call, figuring it out together. So huddles with your network, with your team of providers, figuring out what to do every day is essential to thinking your way through being a really a sharegiver that doesn't get overwhelmed. Yeah, this, this is a great challenge that we think about in our own program because it's almost without exception, these care, caregivers are alone. Uh, they may have siblings who really are not helping or children or they're geographically so remote and they don't have the wherewithal to hire people that can give them respite or consult with them. This is the great challenge to us of where we have a program we think could be enormously helpful, but how can we support them directly that it make it accessible? That's a, a challenge with- uh, Well, part of, part of their network will be the Shared Giving Solutions website. And they'll meet people through that and learn things and connect with people. Almost all the research shows that people follow through, do much better when they're doing it as a team. Yeah. And they're supporting yeah. each other. Right. Part of, part of what we are providing is very, very specifically how to build a network, how to include friends, family, third parties in that network. Because we've learned that people want to be asked. Somehow they don't volunteer, but they want to be asked. And if you give them a very something specific to do, they feel good about it. You're creating a giver that wasn't there before, but well, it's critical to your own success. You're also giving them a purpose. Yeah. Or to share in sharing, your purpose. Sharing in yours. Yeah. Well, they could be a member of the team. 
and they can have a role. And this is what they can do to help and figure out which of these things you'd like to do because we need your help. Right. Yeah. And people love to do that. Yeah, it's true. Even though they don't realize it until they do it. Yes. And one of the things that could happen on the website is that people could meet up, get to know each other and support each other and come up with ideas. That's one of our greatest um, aspirations. Yeah. We, we call it the Sharegiver Mutual Aid Network, that we believe as more and more people tune into these principles and try to implement them and are experiencing success, you're building a, a mutual aid network of sharing success, sharing ideas, learning together, as you said, and, and hopefully becoming advocates for changing a situation that heretofore is still regarded as, you know, so such a, uh, a dead end for a lot of people that actually ultimately result in a dead end. Yes. I've come to believe, stigma attached. I've come to believe that there's a deep hunger in most of the people that I know for a community that doesn't get satisfied. And so I think that share giving is absolutely a gift for people to participate and care about each other. And if they belong to a church or a synagogue, or some other groups, there'll be people there that would love to be in their community, would love to care and share and, and be part of their lives. It's just in the, the relatives they know would love to do it, but we're all used to sort of living independently. Right. There was not, you, not in our nature. You referred, I forget her name, Emily something, but writing a book on living a meaningful life, which really stayed with me because one of her four, four principles was belonging. Yes. That living a purposeful life, doing something that gave you a sense of purpose, uh, but being belonging as a critical element to having a meaningful life and, and telling stories about your life and seeing yourself in a story is also so critical to this. Yes. Emily Defani Smith. Yeah. It's called The Power of Meaning. Yeah. She has a website and she has a newsletter. Yeah, it, I, I did go on it. it on your website. It's so powerful. Yes. Yeah, and you can post that on your, your website because it's a way to think about having a meaningful life. The strategy's right there. And it's based on ancient wisdom, religion, philosophy, and positive psychology. And it's just terrific. Right. And one of the things you said before, which was her fourth element, was sort of transcendence, which I read as love, that ultimately it is these interactions that are coming from a sense of, of, of love and being, you know, touched by experience in a transcendent way. So, yeah, that... that I think that was a great uh, reference for us. Um, Following up on what Don's mentioned a couple of times for our listeners and viewers, the website is www.sharegiversolutions.com. Um, it's still in development. And again, as Don has mentioned, 
we would like everyone who's receiving this and listening to help us to contribute to the website. Right now, there's material on there that we think you'll find helpful, but we are uh, continuing to evolve on that website. So check it out. Leave us your information, comments, suggestions, experiences, and in that way, we'll continue to uh, build this community. Yeah. Yeah. And that website also is going to have a library of all of our podcasts. And also, I think, links to people like Don was just yeah, talking no, about. Great point that, that it'll be a resource. Yeah. Well, listen, Don, um, we've benefited and enjoyed our relationship with you over the years. And we're hoping to recruit you more, <laughs> more closely to this endeavor as we go forward. But we really appreciate uh, talking with you this morning. Well, is, is for, for people who are watching or listening, um, what else would you like them to know either about you or about share giving or about themselves? Well, I think it would be a very good idea if they emailed you or got onto your website and left messages for who they are, where they live, what their challenges are, and how they want to be involved what they need, what do they need, what would work for them, what would be helpful. So if they're part of the community, building the website and building the community. Yeah, that's so central to what we're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. well, beautifully stated. Um, I, I think this was great. I hope you enjoyed it. I know we did. Um, I'm guessing it's not going to be the last time we do this or certainly talk about it. And I, I echo David's uh, desire to have you even more involved because I do think there's an intersection of our overall philosophy and your experience and expertise. So thanks so much for taking part in this today and sharing your wisdom. Thank you. Okay. Our thanks to Don McMillan and to all the listeners and viewers. Thanks so much. We'd like to thank Don McMillan for his participation today on ShareGiving and for his easy way of making complex things seem much more simple. And thanks to everyone who tuned in. We really appreciate that. We value and welcome your feedback, which you can leave on the website sharegiversolutions.com. We'd certainly like to know your impression of the podcast and your situation as a sharegiver because sharing is the way of caring. So thank you so much. Until next week, take care, share more, be good to yourself. And now a song from the Stoller Tabernacle Choir. I got shoes, you got shoes. Oh, God's children got shoes. When I get to heaven, gonna put on my shoes. I'm gonna walk all over God's heaven. Heaven, heaven. When I get to heaven, gonna put on my shoes. I'm gonna walk all over God's heaven. Right on. Right on. <laughs>